0: O.J. Simpson was born in San Francisco on July 9, 1947. My brother, Ronald Lyle Goldman, was born in a Chicago suburb on July 2, 1968. O.J.'s parents separated when he was five. He was raised by his mother. Our parents divorced when Ron was six. We were raised by our father, Fred. As a teenager, O.J. got into trouble, but turned his life around through football. As a teenager, Ron spent summers as a camp counselor and played Little League baseball. O.J. was recruited by USC, won the Heisman Trophy, and was the number one NFL draft pick in 1969. He went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Ron attended college for a semester in Illinois before we all moved to Los Angeles. After retirement, O.J. worked as a sports commentator, an actor, and a spokesperson. Ron worked as a recruiter, a tennis coach, and a waiter. Ron
1: planned to open his own restaurant and bar.
0: On June 12, 1994, OJ attended his daughter's dance recital with his ex-wife, Nicole, and her family. They went to dinner at Mezzaluna Restaurant to celebrate. OJ wasn't invited.
1: On June 12, 1994, Ron was working as a waiter at Mezzaluna Restaurant. His shift ended and he headed to Nicole's house to return
0: a pair of sunglasses. That night, the two men crossed paths at the home of Nicole Brown Simpson. What happened next altered families, changed lives, and reset American culture. Forever.
1: This is Confronting O.J. Simpson. I'm your host, Kim Goldman. This podcast is about confronting the last 25 years of my life, about my brother's murder and the trial and everything that came with that. And I know that it's going to be painful for me, so I wanted to make sure that I've got someone walking this journey with me that I can trust and I can rely on. And Nancy Glass was the perfect choice because she was a journalist at the time of my brother's murder trial and I figured she would just she would get it.
0: I think a lot of people don't know that you and your brother were unusually close. And you also both were unusually close with your dad.
1: My birth mom left uh, when my brother and I were three and a half and six. She, uh, I guess, didn't want to be a mom. And my dad didn't want to not be a dad. And it was just my dad, Ron, and I growing up, we were the three musketeers. We just stuck together like glue. My brother was my best friend. He was my protector. When we had a horrible car accident, my brother was the one that pulled me from the car, that sat with me until the ambulance came, sat with me in the hospital. And you almost died, and you went blind for a while. Yeah, and there was my brother holding my hand and cracking jokes and and still trying to keep me upbeat and positive. We were just two peas in a pod. My dad's pretty amazing, and he created an amazing relationship between my brother and I.
0: And your mother abandoned you?
1: She was pretty absent for a majority of our upbringing. I probably went after having, uh, wanting to have a relationship with her more than my brother did. He wanted to keep her in his mind at a certain age because that was the most positive memory that he had of her. I'm the one that kept going back. She showed up periodically to tell me I was worthless, basically, and then she showed up when my brother died.
0: Did she offer you any comfort? <laughs> no, she called me a
1: bitch uh, while we were in court. Yeah, wow. no, there's no comfort there. You know, this is one of those things that I feel the the bittersweet about my brother's case being so public was that people get to know these two amazing guys that raised me. And um, my dad is exactly how people have seen him and how people have met him and grew to know him over the last 25 years, um, full of passion and dedication and love. And this level of fierceness and commitment to his family, um, that's, there's no, there's no lie there. And that mush that daddy mush, um, pure
0: love for his family. We're gonna get to know him a little bit, and the one person we aren't gonna get to talk to is Ron.
3: Autopsy report 94-05135. An autopsy on the body of Goldman Ronald. External examination. The body is that of a well-developed, well-nourished Caucasian male stated to be 25 years old. The body weighs 171 pounds, measuring 69 inches from crown to sole. The hair on the scalp is brown and straight. The irises appear hazel with the pupils fixed and dilated.
1: Have you ever watched the news, heard about some violent crime, and then suddenly realized that they're talking about your family? I have. Ron and Nicole were killed on June 12th and the news broke on June 13th. You were in your car most of the day driving for work.
4: I heard a lot on the news all day long about Nicole Brown murdered with another person. I walked in the house, still gets me. I walked in the house and Patty, yelled out, Fred, Fred, there's someone on the phone, something about Ron. And I picked up the phone, and they said, this is the L.A. coroner's office. And I said, why would you be calling me? And she said, um, did you hear on the news today about Nicole Brown being murdered? And I said, what does that have to do with me? And she said, (laughs) your son, your son was the other victim. And I went crazy. I went crazy. And I said, what are you talking about? How do you know? I walked over to the patio door and I looked out into the backyard and I just found myself staring and screaming at the same time. Then I realized that the next thing I had to do was contact you. That was the second then most gut-wrenching moment of my life. I didn't want you to find out any other way. I couldn't even fathom that you would have to watch it on television or or hear his name mentioned as a murder victim. I called your house in San Francisco, and Joe, the guy that you were dating and living with at the time, answered the phone, and I asked for you, and he said, you weren't home yet. And I told him what happened, and I said, you cannot tell Kim anything. Just tell her she has to call me immediately. And then I hung up and then I, all I kept thinking about is how am I gonna tell you? I knew I was inflicting an unbelievable pain on you, but you had to know.
1: I was in San Francisco. I was working at Wells Fargo. My shift was not done until six. My friend Amy was going to drive me home. I lived on the beach and we were driving down whatever street was right in front of the beach to my house and we were singing and, and we had Motown on. That was Amy's, That was Amy's jam and I came inside my apartment and Joe was standing there with this look of sheer panic on his face. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And he's like, you need to call your dad. You asked me if I had heard the news about O.J. Simpson's ex-wife being killed. And I said, I have no idea who you're talking about. And you said, Nicole Brown Simpson, she was murdered. I said, Dad, I don't get to the point. And, And you said Ron was killed. And I remember dropping the phone. I could feel myself kind of going in this spinning. And you said, I need you to come home. And um, we drove to the airport and I got on the last flight out of Oakland. That was like the longest deplaning process. And I remember uh, just falling into your arms in the airport.
4: When I took you in my arms, it felt like it lasted forever.
5: Yeah.
1: And we got in the car and KFI was on the radio.
4: In today's news, breaking news.
1: And it said, O.J. Simpson's ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and Ron Goldman were found slaughtered to death in Brentwood. That was when I was like, Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kinda of sucked.
4: <sighs> Worst day of my life.
1: Now you know how we lost my brother, but you don't know who we lost. So I asked some of my brother's best friends, Rob, Jeff, and Mike, to share a little bit about Ron. Right? Like you guys all you guys are all turning 50 this year, correct? Ish? I it just just 50. turned fifty.
3: Turned. I'm still in my forties, boys.
1: Right.
6: Uh,
3: I'm turning fifty in a couple weeks.
1: How did you become friends with my brother?
6: My first recollection of Ron and we becoming friends with Ron was, I think, our freshman or sophomore year, and it was the year. Can maybe you will remember this? He got a perm.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
6: we took. um... <laughs> There was, like, a drafting class you could take. And he walked in that day, I remember, and I think I felt kind of bad for him. We all did. (laughs) Uh, Because it was so out of character. (laughs) And so we ended up becoming friends in that class. He hated that (laughs) part. It was was goofy. Uh, Yeah,
7: (laughs) yeah. Well, you remember Ron, Ron, so Ron had the colic, right? Yeah, in, yeah, the, like, yeah the colic right in the front. And, and everyone knew that. And I think the perm was the way to get rid of it. And so <laughs> he went for it. And right, none of no. us would probably have the stones to do that, but he did.
3: Ron dragged me to a dance. Oh. And I did not want to go. He is trying to get me to dance with all these different girls. I'm like, what <laughs> are we doing?
7: And nobody wanted to go to those dances, Mike, except for Ron.
6: So, oh, I got um, chills. The- oh my. He dragged us all there. It was fun. We would hit our stride at those dances. That's right. I know. Oh, oh those dances. God. Yeah.
1: Was my brother like a smooth dude? What was he doing in there?
6: I would say we believed we were all really smooth, but I don't think we were. <laughs> I think we were just kind of nerdy trying to be smooth and trying to be kind of the cool ones at those dances. And You know, that's, I've been thinking a lot about sort of how we were in high school. And so my mom sold real estate at the time. She got one of those early car phones. So if we pulled up and there were some girls in the car next to us, Ron would always pick up the phone and pretend to talk on it because we thought (laughs) that's what kind of made us cool. You guys remember Fred's white 200 SX? Yeah, I do remember oh. with the automatic wiper blades. I was always impressed they would turn on when the rain started.
3: Yep. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was right out of the scenes of let's go in reverse and pull the e-brake and see what happens and try to flip the car around. Kind of hard to do in a front-wheel drive car, but
8: Ron <laughs> attempted.
7: He was a goofball, but he was also cool and calm and confident. I mean, he had some kind of confidence that I think we all wanted. We had a half day one day and we were walking around the neighborhood and there was a girl that I was dating and she had a pool. So Ron's like, we got to go hop the fence and jump in the pool. <laughs> so we knocked on the door, made sure she wasn't home and nobody answered. So we hopped the fence and we jumped in the pool. And, you know, I'm like, Ron, it's been five, 10 minutes. Let's get out of here. And he's like, no, no, that's great. We could spend all day in here. <laughs> oh my God. So we probably were there for about a half an hour. And we decided, okay, we're pushing the envelope. Let's get out of here. So we're walking home, and it's only like a f- five-minute walk. We're halfway home, and all of a sudden a police car. <gasps> yeah, window down and says, hey, guys, um, where have you been? And we're both still sopping wet. Ron goes, um, yeah, we were just walking around. We we're, you know," <laughs> He's like, well, why are you wet? Oh, we ran through a sprinkler. Ron had just the answer so fast that he could think on his feet. He was easy to talk to, but he was also the the person that if you ever had a doubt about doing something out of your comfort zone or aggressive or just something that he thought would make you happy, he was the one that was going to get you over that finish
3: line. I remember going to Ron and saying, hey, there's somebody I really want to ask to take to homecoming. He's like, do it. And I said, you know, I just don't have the courage and whatever it is, you know, I can't do it. No, no, do it. Do it. it, Well, I kind of need your permission. He's like, by permission? I'm like, yeah, it's your sister. He's oh. like, what?
1: <laughs> and he and he obviously said yes. He was fine with it. Yeah. yeah.
3: The one thing he had said is you protect her and you look out for her.
7: He washed out for you. I mean, that's pretty admirable. It was pretty cool. Sometimes I would say to Ron, you know, let's just, the two of us, go do something. And he always wanted to include you. I don't know if you recall that, but he just felt like, let's play games in the house or do something where Kim can hang with us.
1: He really did look out for me, and I and I never felt like I didn't have someone wrapping their arms around me, and, and I think that he chose friends that did the same. I remember feeling like I had a lot of older brothers, and I remember feeling very safe and very protected, and I always appreciated that.
6: Well, it's, you know, it's interesting that you say that, and you talk about it this way, because after everything happened with Ron, my sister called and she really loved Ron and she always saw the connection that you had and what she really was so upset about was Kim you losing that older brother she recognized that loss and connected with that and that's what she was really upset about
7: Kim what I think about a lot is Ron would have been such an amazing uncle to your kids thanks Jeff thank you I will miss him forever and I know you know thank you for doing this Kim
1: Thank you for thank you for sharing.
6: Absolutely. Of course, anytime.
1: As much as it brought me so much joy to hear the love for Ron, it's tough to hear that they'd all be in their 50s, all with beer bellies, telling dad jokes and rooting for the bears. They'd all be 50. Wow. So I'm kind of a nut when it comes to ensuring my own personal home safety. My son can attest to this. I never leave the house without making sure that the doors and the windows are all locked and that the alarm is set. It's really important for me to make sure that I'm coming home knowing that no one has been in my house. But what's crazy is that only one in five homes even have home security. Maybe that's because most companies really don't make it easy. That's why Simply Safe is my top choice. Simply Safe protects your whole home, every window, room, and door, with 24-7 monitoring for just a fraction of the cost. It's just $15 a month. There's no contract, no hidden fees, or fine print. It's easy to order and easy to set up, usually in just under an hour. So visit simplysafecom confronting. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. So go now and be sure you go to SimplySafe.com slash confronting so they know that our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash confronting.
9: This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Ron had someone else in his life who
1: likely had his heart. Although they always said they were just friends, I know my brother loved her. They never dated, but they were basically inseparable in L.A. It was important for me to talk to Lauren.
5: I just remember meeting him, and the second we met, we were just joined at the hip. was like immediate friendship. I loved him so much and he was my best friend and our whole relationship was platonic.
1: Honestly, it never made sense to me why the two of you never became a couple.
5: I know you guys made that very clear to me at Passover. <laughs> Your dad's in Patty's house. Your yeah. brother would include me because my whole family's is East. Right. And I remember going to pee in the middle of dinner. And I remember hearing from you, Ron, Don't fuck this up. Me? Yes. And him saying, tell her. She's the one with the boyfriend. Like, she knows how I feel about her. I just was so young. I think I always knew we were going to be together. I just knew I wasn't mature enough yet. I know how he felt about me. And I knew I didn't want us to have a relationship until I could grow up enough to be what he deserved. He used to wake me up every morning. Good morning, sunshine. You have an exam today. Don't be late. I know you're always late. Don't be late. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, thank Coming you. from a guy that did not uh, finish college. Exactly. Yeah. Just I'm thankful that he was there for me to help me get through mine. Your brother is a good guy and very young and just trying to have a good time in L.A. We'd always go to listen to new bands and co-dancing and just everything. So did you guys hang out with Nicole back then? We would run into her once in a while at a dance club. They worked yeah. out at the same gym. Right. She would visit Luna, and that's really all right. it came down to. So they were yeah. acquaintances. Um, one of my favorite stories is when you guys got tattoos. So whose idea was that? It's so crazy, too, because Ron and I were at the Viper Room. We left, and he's like, we should get a tattoo. I'm like, yes. I've always known what I wanted. I want the Eye of Horus. The fishermen used to paint it on their boats for signs of protection and good luck. And he's like, okay, I want that too. I'm like, uh, no. Like, it's enough. We're getting tattoos together. You're not getting the same thing as me. So he's like, okay, so what goes with it? I'm like, well, the Ankh goes really well with it. He didn't know what the Ankh was. And I explained to him what the Egyptian gods and mythology would carry around as the keys to life. Mm -hmm. And it could have meant fuck you for all he knew. But he believed me. And he's like, okay, I'll get that. You know, my dad was not happy about the I, tattoo. Nobody was. My parents weren't happy either. Yeah, <laughs> my dad was not happy about that. I'll never forget him being in the kitchen. He took off his shirt and he was like showing up this giant tattoo. And he's like, yeah, look what Lauren designed for me. And as much as I left your family, I'm like, great, they're going to hate me now. Why did
1: you answer my email and say that you would sit and talk to me today?
5: It's been 25 years, and I care so much about you and your family. I'm trying to grow as a person, and he's such a huge part of my life. What happened to him affected me so enormously. That night, um... You might never want to talk to me again after this, for real. Why? Because he called me to come watch the hockey game.
1: Wait, so are you saying you guys had plans the night that he was
5: killed? Yeah. I've always been a really big hockey dork. The Devils and the Rangers had the most amazing Eastern Conference Finals. And her brother and I watched an awful lot of it together. You know, we had so much fun. Like he'd you know tease me and rile me about it. and it was it was awesome. to the point where I be like, like, your boy Booka Boom got kicked out of the game. <sighs> that night, he had said that he decided to drop her glasses. I he was just such a good person. I would have done the same thing, like, oh, somebody left their glasses and they're on my way to wherever I'm going. I feel like if I had said, okay, I'll go with you, then maybe I could have kept it from happening. <laughs> Lauren, I'm not going to let you. I know. I'm my not mo- going to let you. And my mom said, like, if you had gone with him, you'd probably... Not be with us anymore either. But like, it just is not the point. I should have been there for him. (sighs) I feel like shit about it. Still,
1: the only person that's responsible for this is OJ Simpson. I know. Trust me. All of the what ifs, we can torture ourselves. I didn't call my brother back. I didn't. I didn't say goodbye. He called me. I didn't call him back. Like we could sit here forever and go over all the things that we did. 50 million
5: messages. After that night, like, where were you not coming? Did you just flake? Did you run into some, like? Did you decide to go out? Like, almost blaming messages. Like, oh, of course, I'm sorry, somebody else. Course, more important than
1: you, Lauren. who thinks? Who thinks? My wish for you would be that you could find some peace in some of these things because you can't keep this with you. Well, what consistent. about
5: you? I, I'm working on it. I'm in work in progress. <laughs> I miss him so much I miss him so much too and it's been a long time but time does not heal all wounds
3: report there is a picture type tattoo on the lateral aspect of the left upper arm there are no deformities old surgical scars or amputations the clothes were examined both before and after removal from the body the decedent was wearing a long sleeve type of shirt slash sweater it was extensively bloodstained on the front lower right side there was a one and a half inch long slit like tear also on the lower right sleeve, there was a one-inch slit-like tear. On the back, there was a half-inch slit-like tear on the right lower side. decedent was wearing a pair of Levi jeans, blood-stained. On the outside of the left hip region, there was a one-and-a-half-inch long slit-like tear. The decedent was also wearing two canvas-type boots and two sweat socks.
1: Open it. Okay, walk this way. Sorry for my mess and for the stink. My kid forgot to take the garbage out.
4: My grandson wouldn't forget.
1: Oh, he forgot. That's why it stinks in here. Okay, so I don't want you lifting anything. All right, so I'm gonna get some of the pictures,
4: Dad. Some of these. Oh, God, look at this. Graduation, It's Ron's graduation. Eighth grade graduation. Eighth grade, oh my God, look how Uh cute he looks.
1: Okay, but look at his afro. Yeah, I'm looking at that. You permed his hair. I permed it? Joan, your second wife, she, she permed all of us.
4: Look at the two of you. Aren't we cute? So cute. These are incredible. Now we're getting to my favorite pictures. Look at the three of us acting like goofs. You were three in this, and Ron was five. Yeah. You with your little hood, and Ron with a hood on his jacket. And this was part of the group of pictures I took, one of which was the two of you walking away from me, holding hands. Mm-hmm. Here's the two of you at a birthday party. Oh my God, look how cute you were. Here's Ron reaching over, kissing his his baby sister. Mm -hmm. You were always hugging. Yeah. Every time I took a picture, I never had to say hug one another because the two of you would do it naturally. Yeah. Here's Ron at age, what, maybe 13, skinny, showing his muscles. Yeah.
1: Remember when Ron had to wear that braces? He had that big mouth, the headgear. Yeah, yeah, that was a big source of uh, tension between the two of you. That's from my yeah. 21st birthday.
4: Your 21st birthday. And you guys right.
1: surprised me in Santa Barbara, and I remember I was so excited because Ron said he was coming up, and I was like, Oh my God, my big brother's coming! And I was so excited. Yeah, this was the last picture of him.
4: Ugh. Yeah.
1: We were told that, that that softball picture of him was was taken the morning of.
4: Ron holding a baseball bat with this huge grin on his face. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you remember when we were going through Ron's apartment and found those messages on his answering machine?
4: Yeah, the messages that went from, hey, Ron, just want to say hi, don't forget we're getting together today. And then slowly, as you heard them, mm-hmm. went from, Hey, Ron, I wanted to talk to you. I've, I keep hearing your name today, and I want to be sure it's not you. I want to be sure you're okay. <laughs> to almost the equivalent of Ron, I now know it's you. I wanted to hear your
0: <laughs> I wanted
4: to hear your voice one more time. And I love you. That series of messages on his answering machine were so telling of how people felt about Ron. God knows how many people had called on that that message machine.
0: Exactly 13 years after Simpson was acquitted of Ron and Nicole's murders, He was found guilty of kidnapping and robbery in Las Vegas. Here's a story. Simpson was upset because he learned that a collectibles dealer in Vegas had football memorabilia and family photos that O.J. believed were stolen from him. Now, a lot of people would hire a lawyer, go to civil court, and sue to recover their property. Instead, Simpson and a buddy recruited three other men to confront the collectibles dealer in a Vegas hotel room. Two of them brought guns, and one of them pulled a gun on the dealer during the confrontation. Another one recorded the entire incident. Here's Simpson making sure no one leaves before he gets what he came for. I do let
3: nobody out of this one. So I was going to out of You And you can steal my shit and sell it Don't let nobody out of here. Ah.
0: Listen, there aren't a lot of criminals who actually record themselves committing a crime. It's kind of the way to ensure you're going to get convicted of something. But the point is, the Goldmans finally saw Simpson leave a courtroom in handcuffs to begin serving a 33-year sentence. But he left prison early on parole. After only nine years, he was out.
1: So a couple years back, I wanted to see him behind bars. I wanted to see I him gotcha. in prison. I wanted to be the one to walk away. I wanted the back of my head to be the last thing that he saw. Ron was barely alive for about a minute and watched the killer walk Watched the walk guy away. that murdered
4: him, stabbed him 32 times, walk away. He was the last thing that Ron yeah. saw.
1: When he was in prison
4: Mm -hmm. you wanted to go see him and i was against it
1: and i got close i got to the point that i was in communication with yale galanter who was his attorney at the time who wanted me to sign a confidentiality agreement denying that the entire experience never happened all right i was not willing to be deceitful and dishonest like they were and so everything kind of went by the wayside at that point
2: football hall of famer oj simpson is now released from prison And is a free man.
6: Juice, juice. How's it feel to be out? Y'all stalking me. (laughs) Jesus, please, I can have a break here. All right, thank
9: you.
1: Now he's been released from prison. He lives in Las Vegas. He's living in a gated community. He is enjoying the sun, the golf, the ladies. He's free. He's free, and it's weird that the second that he was released again, I suddenly felt like the powerful place that i was able to sit for those nine years i I feel like we're gone and so i am trying to confront him
4: well you told me that once before and my response is exactly the same i wouldn't want to be in the same room with that son of a bitch
3: autopsy report the decedent sustained multiple sharp force injuries including multiple stab wounds involving the chest and abdomen Of note, the cutting wounds of the left and right hands, compatible with defensive wounds. In addition, there were a number of blunt force injuries of the upper extremities and hands, likewise compatible with defensive wounds. Sharp force injuries of neck. Opinion, this sharp force injury of the neck is fatal, associated with transection of the left internal jugular vein. Stab wound of right side of chest. Opinion. This is a fatal wound associated with perforation of the right lung and a hemothorax. Stab wound of left side of abdomen. This is a fatal stab wound. I used to say it a lot, but
4: it would not have been wrong had he not offered to help Nicole out by taking those glasses to her house in the trial we heard about someone hearing someone yell hey 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 or something to that effect i'm convinced that was ron walking into a murder in progress and attempting to alter what was happening and got himself killed
1: you know the selfish thing would have been to run you walk in you see something happen, you bolt and ron ran towards it and i wish that he would have been more selfish that night
4: I wish he had never done that. But that would not have been wrong.
0: Kim, I noticed during the interviews, you said O.J. Simpson. But privately, you never say that. You call him the killer. Why? I don't want to give him
1: any more credit or honor by calling him by his name. Um, He doesn't deserve that. I won't self-combust if I call him by his name, but he's a killer and that's what we call him.
0: Over the last 25 years, and it's incredible that it's been 25 years, he hasn't been out of your life. You even crossed paths with him. I did.
1: After the criminal case, I was driving around through a parking lot, and I saw this figure start to walk across the parking lot. And because I had studied him for so long during the criminal case, I knew that gate. I knew that shuffle I knew the wrinkles in the back of his head. I just, um, and I was sitting in my car and I was revving the engine and I was white knuckling the steering wheel thinking nobody would know if I took him out right here and now.
0: You were thinking about running him over.
1: I was because I had all these pent up feelings and anger and rage and and here he was just casually sauntering in front of my car. So what stopped you? My dad, thinking that my dad couldn't go through another criminal case, that my dad couldn't afford to lose another kid. Um, And because I'm not a murderer, because I'm not violent, because I don't allow myself to get to that place. I fantasized for it for the time that I was sitting in my car, and, uh, and then I just watched him carry on. Tell us about this podcast. This podcast is an opportunity for me to go back and ask questions and confront things that have bothered me, things that have weighed on my mind and in my heart, Um, It's an opportunity to meet people from a different perspective than we've ever talked to them or seen them or have heard from before. We're going behind the scenes. We're going behind, behind it all to just get to the crux of what went on for the last 25 years.
0: You know, it's interesting. You're going to talk to jurors who absolutely still believe that OJ is innocent. You're going to talk to all kinds of people. Uh, Marsha Clark, Chris Darden. Um, I'm
1: open to talking to members of the defense team. I'm open to talking to Judge Ito. And um, I'm hoping to talk to Pablo Fenves, one of the witnesses. Jill Shively was one of the witnesses that never got to testify. Right, We're going to talk about that because it's so interesting. Um, I'm just open to the whole process to see who I haven't been able to connect with and who shows up. I
0: think listeners are going to be very surprised. I think surprise is going to be a feeling that people get left with often.
1: On the next episode of Confronting O.J.
9: Simpson... At every break, celebrities wanted to meet the prosecution. At one point, introducing me to Jimmy Dean. You know, I love your sausage, man, but this is a murder trial...
4: He gets on the stand, and when he's asked, would you ever plant evidence in any murder case, and he pleads the fifth?
1: I was like, what the fuck? Excuse my French, but like, what the fuck are you
9: doing? God, it's all over. I'm going to need a stiff drink after this, Tom. I knew the truth. I knew what I had done. Right. To my great regret. This is bonkers to me. Yeah. It is objectively bonkers. Objectively bonkers.
4: This is just the beginning.
1: Want to know more about the Confronting Podcast? Please follow us at ConfrontingPod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for photos, additional content, and discussions about the podcast. We are all confronting something, and I look forward to continuing the discussions from our episodes over social media with all of you. If you enjoyed this one, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever platform you listen to podcasts. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Confronting O.J. Simpson is executive produced by me, Kim Goldman, and my co-host, Nancy Glass. Along with executive producers, Ben Federman and Andrea Gunning. Supervising producer, Carrie Hartman. Produced by Julie Clark and Chris O'Ryan. Story producer, Tony Davis. Audio editing done by lead editor, Matt Delvecchio and editor, Dean Welsh. The archive, research and production team includes Jamie Richard, Megan Paisley, jessica little and brianna fars other members of the production team include kenny kohler and mark downing Bart mccacci was the post supervising producer audio mix done by dave saya assisted by dale epperson music and original composition created by MIDE music and special thanks to laurent Joven at migrate sound confronting oj simpson was produced by glass entertainment group in
0: partnership with wondery some material, including court testimony, was edited for time.
8: Answers for Claudia, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores a 15-year-old mystery, the disappearance of Claudia Lawrence on March the eighteenth, two 2009. Claudia was a seemingly happy 35-year-old when she vanished without a trace. There was no crime scene, no CCTV of Claudia leaving her home, and no body found. She simply finished her shift phoned her mum for a chat and was never seen again. Claudia's mum, Joan, is now 80 years old and she thinks this might be her last chance to find answers. I'm journalist Tom McDermott and when I offered to help Joan, I had no idea what was in store. In Answers for Claudia, I speak to the people who knew Claudia, interview past suspects and investigate the rumours and theories that surround this case. Why are the residents of the village Claudia lived in still so frightened and what can we find out about the people who were closest to Claudia? You can binge Answers for Claudia exclusively on Wondery+. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.